Hello and welcome to a very special episode of The A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. This is going to be a kind of best of episode, a clip show, if you will. We're working hard on what we're calling season two, and we got some great guests that are that are already in the works that we've done some and we're, we're waiting on others. Jamie Barrett of Goodby fame. Now he's got his own agency. Tiffany Rolfe from Co-Collective. John Petrulis from Gray, Linda Kaplan-Thaler of uh, Kaplan-Thaler Advertising Agency, and Ari Weiss of DDB are all slotted to come on in, or they have already, and several more uh, that I can't remember right now. But we did 20 episodes in season one, and starting with uh, Rob Riley way back in March of 2017, if you can believe, that seems like uh, a billion years ago. And we wanted to do a little uh, look back and pull out some of the lessons that we learned. It's not really a top 10 or anything, so don't get upset if you're uh, not in this episode. But as a student at FIT back in the in the late 80s, early 90s, in the 1900s, I would have... Uh, I would have... <laughs> but as a student at FIT back in, uh, when I was there uh, in the late 80s, I will say, I would have I flipped my mullet to be able to sit with uh, ad geniuses and learn from them. So now I get to do that every day, which is which is really mind-blowing. But you get to do it too. So we wanted to, to sort of take a look back at all the things that we've learned, Matt Stillo and I have learned, as we've uh, done this weird little show. And this is a sort of a Whitman sampler of advertising. Am I showing my age again, Whit- Whitman samplers? Do people still? I mean, everyone likes a, like a, like a, candy, a box of candy. It's a, life is like a box of candy is what I'm saying, Matt. So all this is thanks to the fine people at Ad House Advertising School. And so we're doing this clip show because classes are starting in the next few weeks. And you could be learning from an ad genius in the agency where they work. They give you assignments. You do ads. You get critiqued each week. You get 10 classes for just 600 bucks. That's 10 chances to get to know and learn from A-listers like Cash Shree at Gyro. Brandon Drew Pierce from Droga5 is on the books this year. Super freelancer Paul Fix. Love that guy. Classes start the week of September 20th, but they're filling up fast. Go to adhousenyc.com and tell them you heard about it here on the A-list podcast. And now, without further ado, here are the A-list podcast 10 lessons we learned in season one. I learned recently that the number one thing that separates successful people from unsuccessful people in any business isn't talent, it's not persistence, it's not how you dress, it's social skills. And the ability to get along with people is so important in any business, but in advertising, I think it's even more important. So in this clip, Terry Meyer and Sandy Greenberg from a small agency, Terry and Sandy, here in New York City, talk about the hardest relationship of all. The client, dun, 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 the client. Well, the one thing I think we were really lucky about is that we always had really strong client relationships. We we own the relationship pretty much. Like, And what, what does it take to, to have a good, because I think that's the hardest thing for creatives because they think like, no, I'm just going to, I'm going to do the crazy thing and then just like sell it to them. And if they don't get it, then screw them, man. Like, yeah. how, do, how do you get past that and get to the... You know what? I think I think you have to look at yourself. Yes, you're a creative person, but you're a business person. Mm. And, you know, it's interesting because most creative people can see the relationship to the account people. Yeah. And we yeah. never did. Right. 
We never did. Now, we had account partners like Tony Scopolito, our managing director. He was right. our account partner for like 17 years on craft. And right. we loved him. You know, we loved working with him, but we never we never conceded the relationship. Yes. It wasn't like, well, you go take the client out. Like, right. We took the clients yeah. out. You know, and, it's still the hardest thing for me. Yeah. And, just, and, and, I, and by I, the way, like it's really it's hard because it's on top of everything else. Everything else yeah. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's very, but but the thing is, it, it it's it's a lot of work, but it it's a lot of work to keep relationships going. You know, right. we always take the extra effort where if a client, um, you know, loses their job or whatever, we offer a place to come to, you know, because that's a really hard time for people. And we just have always really worked at having relationships. And in the end, yeah. it made all the difference in the world. And I'm so glad that, right. and it's one of the biggest pieces of advice that I give to creative people or anybody actually, yeah. which is form your own client relationships. They're your, that's, that's, your, that's your future. It's everything. Mm-hmm. Everything. How do you do it? What are your, do you have some, uh, do you have some things that you do that are like, do you call every two weeks? Mm-hmm. What do you, what is the, what's the, I don't know if it's that's prescriptive. Yeah. I think, um, we're very business focused, so mm-hmm. we always talk about the business. Mm. So I think that's different than just going in and, and presenting creative work. Like yeah. we understand the business, and right. so it's something you know, like like clients look to us, mm. like and really want to know what we think. But yeah. I think we have we've taken clients to dinner like many times through sure. the years or lunches because yeah. you really can talk. Yeah. Like in, and you you can't believe like the amount you learn. It's so funny because since we started our business, we have a lot of young people and yeah. you know they they email the client and we're like pick up the phone yeah. and, and they're like oh no, I don't want to bother them. Mm. But it's when you pick up the phone, you learn so much more yes. than when you email. Right. But that is and the new generation. Just... They they're like I could not call him. I mean, I can't do. I have yeah, to set up mess. an appointment to call. They're a mess. Them. I think we can. We can. They're not around, so we can talk about it. They're a mess. We got to fix it. Yeah. Um, but it's something to learn because it's it's like it's the it's the tactile. It's the FaceTime. Yeah. It's the voice. And it's time. the it's the not it's not a transactional relationship. Right. You're not calling yeah. just to get them to buy the work right. or calling just to find out what they're they don't like about the work or whatever. You're calling to be like. What's going on with you? How's your yeah. kid? Or what? That was my biggest thing at BBDO. Was like the uh, the people, the account people at BBDO were mostly the the client liaisons. Mm-hmm. They would go to the uh, birthday parties of the client's children. You know, it's like that's how close they were. And yeah. you can't do that just by like, do you like this ad? Okay, right. great, see ya. Yeah. It's got to be like, so what are your hopes and dreams? What do you want to do? Where do you want to be? You know, you tell secrets to each other. Like, mm. oh, I don't really like this job or I don't mm. like, you know, and, they, and, right. and, and it, it sort of, true. it allows, uh, there's a trust that, that builds the, mm. that way that then you can be like, listen, I love this ad. Can you just, <laughs> Approve it, right? It. Or, or like that's, or can you let that's me just like do the this smallest the thing. Yeah, let me just try this, yeah. and and it's hard because we're so attached to our work and our ideas. We love them, right? Right. And I think one of the one of the things I think that where you really do form the closest relationship is if you do tell the truth, you know. Or mm-hmm. so you have to be prepared for them to say they don't like it, which is really hard. Right. It's hard to not be defensive, right? Because we love our work, right? But, but you, know, you have to be. You have to be willing to listen that to hear why they don't like it or why it isn't right. And you have to deal with it and move yeah. on. Yeah. It's just painful. Yeah. But it's more painful to not and then have them just pick it apart. You yeah. know, I'd rather do something new that we love than right. like 
okay, you don't like this, 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 and this, and then you don't recognize it anymore. Well, we don't usually do that. Like, we'll kill it ourselves if, yeah. they, if they're really picking it up. And just knowing that, knowledge, I think real pros know that they can hit that shot every time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you know it doesn't go in this time, they'll just shoot again. And mm-hmm. it's like, ideas are easy. They're just, they're everywhere. Uh, it's the execution of it that I think is the real, like, that's so mature. Once you get Don't it, Don't you think you that's know? so mature, though? I mean, it's when, get, when, we, gotta lose, get when we lose our ideas, we're, we're ideas are, it Ideas hurts. are everywhere, and they're super easy. How many people have a great idea for a movie? Like, mm-hmm. And you hear it, and you're just like, that would be awesome. Yeah. But do they do it? No, they don't do it because they're, I don't know how, and they don't have people, and the, you know. Yeah. And maybe by the end, the time they finish it, somebody else has done it, or the, you right. know. But that's true. Yeah. It's so true. Ideas are, are a dime a dozen. It's you know what the, I think, though? I think that's one of the ways that you form a relationship is when you can be honest on both sides and when you're willing to listen. You know, uh, getting creative feedback is hard, especially when you're young. You think you know better. Sometimes you're right, you know, but you don't know. So I love this little bit that came at the very end of my conversation with uh, Omid Farhang from Momentum. It's a phrase he got from Alex Bogusky, and it's malicious obedience. And I think it's a really important concept to get your head around. I'll let Omid explain. By the way, Omid launched a very cool podcast of his own called Talking to Ourselves, where he talks to ad people. And, and I wonder where he got that idea, Matt. What do you think? You bastard. Omid Farhang. There was a, a term that Alex had coined. Yeah. And the term was malicious obedience. Oh, wow. What is malicious obedience? So malicious obedience, we've all experienced it as young creatives, which is you go in to show work to a creative director, and um, the creative director inevitably will change or alter or tweak your work. And as a young creative, even though your creative director has accomplished so much and you've accomplished so little, you feel like they're ruining your work. You know, sometimes, God forbid, to sell a product or service. Right. And so... To stick it to them, what you do is you take their feedback and you come back with their work. You come back with your work having applied their feedback in such a way that it sucks. Yeah. As if to communicate, well, I did exactly what you said. And as you can plainly see, it sucks now. So you ruined it. I ask all of my guests for advice on finding a job and they all have great tips This one came from David Baldwin of Baldwin and down in Raleigh, North Carolina. And it sort of jives with the idea of this podcast. This this business isn't about holding companies or even agencies. It's about people and who you work for makes all the difference. More from David Baldwin on the importance of finding a boss. What what is the difference? Uh, Why did you start your agency in, in North Carolina in Raleigh? Uh, And is it because you were down there for McKinney? Uh, and you sort of yeah, I go back to, yeah, I go back to benevolent selfishness. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I if I'm going to start an agency, I'm not going to move. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I had my kids were 12, and I think I think at the time my kids were 11 and nine, or 12 and 10. Mm-hmm. You know. And I was like, I'm not going to move. I'm not mm-hmm. going to move. I'm not going to go. You know, move them to New York City. I'm not going to. Um, uh, and I was like, yeah, we can build a company. It doesn't matter where you are. We can we can build a great company. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they're, they're they're fantastic people down here. So um, so we we just did it. I mean, that literally is why we did it here. And um, you know, haven't looked back. So, how do you recruit? Yeah, what's your what's your 
What's the difference our, for, think, for a young person working in, yeah. you've worked in New York, you've worked in Portland, you've worked in yeah. uh, everywhere. Uh, what's the difference? What are, you, what are you giving up? What are you getting? Yeah, my message would be this to, to younger people. Like, you know, A, look for a boss to work for. Mm. Don't just look for a company. And B, go somewhere where, I think number one is look for a boss. Look for a great boss. Yeah. Um, because that's how you're going to learn. And that's yeah. how I learned. I, I had great bosses and I had a great partner who slap me into shape, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but, but the other is, um, what I would advocate for a smaller place is you are not a number. You cannot hide at a smaller place. You yeah. go to a bigger place and sort of blend in, and, you know, depending on the place. And you can't do that at a smaller agency. And uh, a lot of younger people have asked me, you know, when you're trying to recruit them, they'll say, like, uh, well, what am I going to get for my portfolio for the next two years? And I'm like, an agency. Yeah. You get an agency in your book, you know? Yeah. Um, you're literally going to be on everything. I mean, you, you get, you're just on a ton of stuff. It's not all going to be good. And everybody mines for, you know, everybody mines for gold. Everybody mines for coal. You know, that's, mm -hmm. how, that's how a smaller company is. But I think that's wonderful. And, and you just get, you, you know, you're in, you're in meetings with clients in the first week. I mean, you're not ever stashed away or hidden. You know, you get to, you get to touch everything. And to me, that's, that's my favorite experiences in advertising has, have been at smaller places. I've worked at really big agencies and I've worked at, at smaller places. And I much prefer the kind of smaller feel of being able to have an effect on everything around you. I yeah. love that. Yeah. You know, so, but you know, I, there, you know, there's that sort of thing for, for the kids coming into the, into the business. There's that one kid that they know that they hear about that goes, you know, get to the Nike Super Bowl spot in their first four months, yeah. you know, yeah. it happens. That's wonderful. And, and I think that's great, but that ain't everybody, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, everybody else, I think, look for a great boss, look for a place where you can make a difference and, and, and be a part of something. I used to think ideas were precious little things that needed light and air and lots of tending, but I learned somewhere along the way that ideas are a dime a dozen. They're disposable. And when you really grasp that, you end up having more ideas. Paul Cayozo sort of built his agency, Office of Baby, on that idea. And in this clip, he talks about the importance of doing a lot. So this is a philosophy that I've, I've always, and I think one of the things that drew me to Crispin is, like, a Alex is, is the real deal. I mean, he's a genius. His philosophy was kind of that advertising was dis is disposable. Mm -hmm. It's a disposable medium. It lives for a month, two months maybe, um, and then it goes away forever. Yeah. And the more of it you can put in culture, the more of it you people, you, the higher chance you have that someone's going to relate to something. Yeah. So you don't want to spend too much on one thing. Yeah. You want to spread it around and maybe do ten things. Right. And that was really appealing to me because I like to bounce between 10 things. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that my passion is in like deep craft. So right. I, like I was happy doing that and kind of working on these, these getting all these ideas incubated. Yeah, yeah. And then you pass it on and someone else sort of crafts it. Mm -hmm. And it gets to this place that looks awesome. And you have to be okay with other people. You have to let it go. Slashes. You have to be okay with other people saying like, "I did that Whopper freak out and it, thing." And it, it cuts both ways, right? And that, that's why I've never freaked out about that stuff. Like, my name is on things at Crispin that someone else definitely led and mm -hmm. and like it was their idea, and I was a supporting cast member. Mm -hmm. And I have people's names on things that I definitely led, and they were a supporting cast member. Right, right. But the idea of taking ownership of something. 
of one thing like that never made sense to me because right. that's why Crispin worked. Yeah, it was a team, and everyone knew like, oh, like people are motivated by self interest. So if you knew you could get your name on all this stuff by being a good team player, and that yeah. the industry just looked at that as whatever as right, that's that person. They're the New England Patriots. You just play that game. Yeah, but when it, when you got out into the world. I never would misrepresent. Like, if someone actually asked, right. I wouldn't say, like, oh, well, yeah, Whopper Virgins, that was my all idea. Me, all me, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't right. my idea. I mean, right. You know, there were, I, the, like, that, and that's where, you know, it required some degree of, of integrity and honesty, which 99.9% yeah. .9 of those people had. Right. Because if you don't have that, you get found out and everybody, yeah. everybody kind of calls you on it. And that's why I've always or laughed. doesn't talk about you anymore. Or <laughs> Everyone's always, there's always the like, the 50 names on Whopper freak out. It's like, yeah, but like, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> everybody knows like, yeah. you know, who did what and where and all those people did something. Right. Or they wouldn't right. be on there. Right. And and you just have to trust that the rest of the stuff, you know, they're, they, they're continuously doing good. If they go to the next place and they don't have anything. Then yeah. You know. And you look at someone's body of work, right? Like yeah. if someone has consistently been a part of amazing things. Yeah. That's what I look for more because that person is going to be more valuable in an advertising sense. Right. If if they've done a consistent variety of good things wherever they've gone rather than having a really specific voice. What happens when you get a bad brief? In advertising, you're going to get them. A lot. When I first got into the business, I remember feeling like everyone knew better than me. And I felt frustrated when I couldn't understand what the client wanted. In this clip, Cash Shree of Gyro gives an important insight. Stay stupid. If only I had known that way back when. Hmm. People say that's a bad brief, but we don't know it's a bad brief. We're going to stay stupid. Yeah. What, what, is that, what does that mean, stay stupid? Um, okay. It, it goes, I've said this a few times. It might maybe getting sort of cliche, but... Um, um, it's new for me. Okay, that's good then. So Kurosawa... Um, had this thing with um, his heroes and his villains. Um, his heroes would always be kind of stupid. Yeah. They were always like trying to just keep up. Or if you, if you think about Seven Samurai, the main guy, the, the, the Tishiro Mufuni guy, was an idiot. Yeah. And he was posing, but he was getting better, but he never knew quite what was going on. Right. Um, so that, those were his heroes in these films. They're always like just, just trying to grow, yeah. just trying to keep up. Yeah. But the, um, the villains were realized. They knew how the world worked. Yeah. They knew what was going to happen. They knew the answers. And they were trying to, f to use that to yeah. force things. Yeah. But then they couldn't grow anymore. Yeah. And there's a, a, a Japanese thing called um, uh, green tomato, um, where as long as the tomato is green, it can keep growing. But as soon as it's red, all it can do is go rotten. Wow. So it's that... The green tomato is stupid. Yeah, it can yeah, keep growing. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, if, as long as you approach it with some stupidity, yeah. and it's how you calculate certain, certain clients don't have an appetite for that. But, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. you got to, you, you can't tell the client it. that yeah. you're, yeah. I'm going to be really stupid. I'm stupid. stupid. I'm just <laughs> yeah. going to come in here stupid. And he's like, oh, yeah. what am I paying you for? Yeah. No, it's, I used to have it on my, um, on my LinkedIn page. It's just like, yeah. it said so like, um, stupid and, um, uh, and, and irritating or something like that. And it was, um, <laughs> And like I was, I was talking to a Korean client, and I said, "But he's stupid." <laughs> and he's reading off my link. He goes, "How can he bring it right he says here? Yeah, he's stupid." She <laughs> <laughs> had to great. change that. Yeah, I had to change that straight afterwards. Um, but I should have had some. There was some. There was some danger signs there. 
So yeah, it, it, so that that's interesting. The 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 bad brief thing. There, like, there are no bad briefs for you. Uh, what does that mean? Well, if you go in saying it's a bad brief, yeah. then you're going to manifest that it's going to be bad. Yeah. But if you're just saying, okay, here's a problem that needs solving. Yeah. What haven't they done yet? Yeah. Then you, you'll often turn what you think what has been called a bad brief into something good because yeah. you don't know any better. Yeah. That's and great. I've done that a few times. It's like sometimes like people go, well, how'd you get those good briefs? It's like, yeah. it, it was, wasn't a good wasn't brief. A good brief. <laughs> yeah, no, I've done it too. And it's, it's interesting. It's like, you just go, okay, that's what that, but I think I know what they kind of mean, but, but maybe not. And then you just start sort of shooting. It takes more work is what yeah. it does. Because if you don't get the brief right, they say shit in, shit out, right? It's like, yeah. Then it's it's never going to be. But sometimes sometimes if it's not quite done, that helps to give you creativity, give you more leeway. What does it do? It's a chance to explore. Yeah, there was a there was a, t- a great team at um, Pereira when I was there called um, um, Brett Beatty and Russell Dodson. Oh yes, they I know. Really I know. Good. I know them. They were at uh, Crispin when I was there for like a month. I was freelancing okay. there. Uh, yeah, um, just really like the f- the funnest team around. But yeah, and we were talking about like, okay, how do you approach things? And he said, like, we always say, where's the rest of the brief? <laughs> so it's like, forget what you got on paper. Yeah, what's everything? Yeah, tell us everything. Yeah. And then once you start to know everything, then you, then you can pick out what you don't want. But you, then, then yeah. you get what's between the lines. That the client's always trying to be polite and trying to look good in front of you. It's not tense yeah. everything. Yeah. Because then we know what we're really answering. Yeah. Yeah. I always ask for the uh, the client brief. Yes. Sometimes, you know, I'll be like, what's the client brief? What, is it, what did the client ask you to do? Because I know you've tried to make it fun for me. Yeah. Uh, but what does the client really want? You know, and then you look at the client brief and you're like, oh, my God. Okay. This is like... They want a lot out of this, yeah. you know. Um, but at least you know what you're dealing with. Yeah, and then and also there's it gives you more things to sort of grab onto and be like, oh, maybe it's that. Maybe that's yeah. the if this is the real problem. It is defining the problem, isn't it? Yes, it's all, that's our job. One time we were working on Sunsilk in um, JBT. That's before mm-hmm. Sunsilk made their horrible mistake of trying to do the iPod campaign for hair, which didn't make any oh, sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we, we, we got this brief and it was like, okay, here's the brief. It's, it's something like sounding perfectly okay. But we said, what do they really want? Yeah. And we pushed them and pushed them and pushed them. And what they wanted was hair porn. Yeah. It was like, okay, we want to see this fan. Okay. Yeah. You want to see them wave their hair about? Yeah. So we wrote a script with But they were afraid everything. to say that. Yes. To you, it doesn't, because they're they like, don't well, sound like a good client then. Yeah. Yeah. So you just went with it. Yeah, we went said. with it and we did something called hair off. Um, and oh, and another thing that uh, JWT had sold them this thing about herapis, a horrible word. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So we yeah. said, well, let's not go away from that because we've sold that in yeah. before we got here. Right. So let's let's embrace it. So we created herapists yeah. and we created hair porn and we created like, and then we had like two women who were waiting in the in, in the, the lobby of their therapist's office yeah, yeah. and um they both got wonderful hair yeah so one of them flicks her hair and the other one flicks her hair and it becomes yeah. like a hair off yeah and then one of them clicks her neck because she it, it goes too far yeah, yeah. um but then the therapist also says like you know with great hair comes great responsibility yeah uh, <laughs> that's right because he's got to give you the uh it was stupid the moral of the story yeah it was stupid but we got all the shots in there and it didn't feel like a normal hair ad right Uh, And so they got what they want, and you got what you want. Yeah. None of the guests you hear on the A-list got to where they are alone. Every one of our guests was helped along by others. 
every single one. So the lesson is be nice to everyone because you can learn from everyone. You never know who your mentors are going to be. Here's Rob Schwartz, CEO of TBWA Shia Day, talking about all the people who he learned from along the way. A lot of people have uh, like a first mentor or a mm. first like who are your who are your people that or one person that really inspired you when you first got into the business. I mean, what I realized kind of later in life is that I had a lot of mentors. Um, most of them didn't know that they were my mentors. <laughs> yeah. Because if you tell them, that's weird. Right? Yeah. You're my mentor now. And then it puts a lot of pressure on it them. Does. And then they have to be like smart and stuff. <laughs> it's so true. Uh, but there was a woman named Roz Green. Um, uh, she was the first female writer, I think, actually hired by Ed McCabe. There was, I guess, kind of a big scally connection to this agency. Um, and she really helped me. Like when I started working on these assignments, you know, I would show her the copy and she would just be like, oh, come on, please write this like a human being. You know, she had this great way about her. Yeah. Um, and uh, she really taught me about like, it's, it's about a voice. It's not like sentence structure. Right. I think I still had a kind of an academics approach to things. Right. And she was like, could you shorten that sentence and make it, you know, fewer paragraphs and, right. you know, that sort of thing. So she was a really great influence on me and uh, really taught me to love radio and how to give direction. Um, so she was really the first. Yeah. And I think... Uh, Roz Green. Roz Green, yeah. She's okay. no longer in the business, but she was she was really special. Yeah. Um, and then uh, both Bob and David, uh, David Altschiller and uh, Bob Reitzfeld, they didn't know they were my mentors, but they really were. Mm -hmm. uh, and what was great is that this was back in the day when, um, uh, like, we had uh, the Restaurant Associates account. Mm -hmm. Real glamour piece of business. But it was Mama Leone's restaurant, and it was um, the Brasserie. It was these kind of, you know, famous New York restaurants. And every Wednesday, uh, there was going to be a menu ad in the New York Times. And this was like one of my big assignments. And two-thirds of the ad was done. It was going to be a menu. Right. But we needed a snappy headline. Yeah. And Monday mornings, I would come in super early, and I would write 50 headlines yeah. to show these guys. Uh, they would eventually get to me right before lunch, uh, and they were so fast and so dismissive of crap. And I'd walk yeah. out from those 50, maybe there were two. Right. And they were the kinds of things like, hey, you know, a lot of fish, not a lot of clams. You know, they were really kind of like old school yeah. kind of headlines, but it really taught you how to write snappy, fast headlines. And would you have to write more at that point? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And how many? How many do you think you wrote for that one? I mean, sort for of assignment? yeah, till you got to a lot of fish, not a lot of clams. Uh, you know, probably eighty. Yeah. And it was back in a day where you know you were sort of prized as a writer for really liking words. Yeah. So. Yeah. Who were your Who were your first uh, partners? First partners. In the in the business, and and what was that like being paired up with a, another human that you didn't really know, and how do you how do you Gel. Great question. Well, my first partner was a guy named Bill Taylor, who uh, he's um, he's kind of been in and out of the business. But this guy, and I'm actually having dinner with him tonight. Oh. So he'll appreciate that. Hi, Bill. Uh, <laughs> he, hopefully he'll listen to this. He was the first guy I worked with, and he was really, uh, he's super smart. Uh, to this day, he's super brilliant. He eventually became a, a designer and then a CMO, uh, really understands data. He's, he's really got a big brain. But what I really learned from him was just work ethic. And I think a lot of, you know, a lot of people don't understand that, like, 
it's just not nine to five. Right. And I remember going out to his apartment, uh, you know, back in Brooklyn when Brooklyn wasn't sexy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like we would work on Saturdays. And there yeah. was a part of me that was kind of like, wow, like, am I supposed to be doing this? But right. you just learn like whatever it takes to get something great. Like yeah. if you're chasing excellence, you yeah. start to not worry so much about time anymore. You even forget what time it is and where, yeah, yeah you forget to eat. Yeah. Things well, like that. Well, that. that doesn't happen often. But, <laughs> but it, it's true. It's like, oh, wow, I didn't eat lunch. I you know, know, that's when you know you're doing, you're yeah. doing your best yeah. stuff. So I learned um, that from him. I worked for the guy named Lance Paul, another great uh, art director. Uh, uh, th- those are the, um, you know, in that uh, agency in New York, that was really my, my first two. And then when I moved out to... Um, to L.A., uh, I worked with a guy named uh, Steve Levitt and um, Denise Crandall at Team One. So a lot of great people. What? So that first job at what was the agency called? Uh, Al Schiller at Reitzfeld. How long were you there? I was there uh, probably two years too long. I was there for four years. Wow. And um, I just – Did you uh, move up from copy? Yeah. Typist to what? Yeah, what I moved up from you... copy typist to then uh, I became what was like the cub writer. Mm-hmm. And there are people in the business who still call me Cubby. Um, yeah. John Pierce, who uh, runs uh, Hudson Rogue, he'll, he'll tell you good Cubby stories. Yeah. Um, and then I eventually became a copywriter. And, uh, but I, I didn't have the confidence to, to leave in a way. I think that's something for people like uh, they may stay in jobs too long because they don't have a belief in their talent. What are the what are the things where you could be like, oh wait, I'm in this job too long? How do you know? Well, what I started to do uh, was, you know, I worked at Altschiller nine to five, and then from like five to midnight, I worked at uh, Weiss Witten, uh, Carol Stagliano. Wow! And uh, this was back at a time when uh, I didn't actually meet Tom Carroll then, who I eventually met, uh, you know, over at the TBWA. But sure, um, I met uh, Nat Witten and. Uh, he was this guy who just kind of opened the door and said, hey, yeah, we need some help here. And we would work on pitches at night. Or right. I remember, you know, they had like a local Pizza Hut franchise and we would do, you know, Pizza Hut radio, whatever it was. Right. And what I loved about Nat was that, oh, he was one of those shy at day people. Mm. So I suddenly had a connection. A lot of people are afraid of failure, but failure is a daily occurrence, especially in advertising. Over his career, Jerry Graff, founder of Barton F. Graff, has failed a lot, and he still fails every day. In fact, he thinks it's kind of a superpower. In this clip, Jerry talks about why doing things you're not good at is a great way to get better at those things, if you're willing to look dumb sometimes. That's amazing. And and everyone I've talked to has had somebody that reached out and helped them after feeling like they were, you know, not going to make it, you know. And um, I think it's the people who take that advice uh, and do something with it that make it, you know, um, from what I can see, you know. Yeah, and then, you know, if if somebody helped you, 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 you have to set yeah. time aside to help other people, you know. Yeah. Or you're a fucking douchebag, you know? Yeah, yeah. So. But what I get from your story is, like, for, for anybody who's young and, and thinking about getting in or even works in a, a place that, you know, they're not loving their job, just keep trying, you know? Yeah, Do yeah. the spec ads at night, you know, yeah. look at somebody else's work and try to emulate it. Um, what yeah, would yeah. Jerry Graff do? Well, yeah. you know, it's... You, you, it's, you have to... Well, also, you have to make your own opportunities, you yeah. know? And yeah. the the like when I was getting destroyed in Los Angeles by these 
not even creative people, like creative resource managers and stuff like that. Yeah. And it, it, it pained me to ask them this, but they're like, this is horrible. And I would say, can you be more specific? Can you, yeah. can you go in depth of yeah. why, why this is horrible? So at least I know clearly what I have to work on. Right. And, and just like unload, just, just, just say everything. Yeah. They, they would rip everything to shreds and, you know, you know, I would go, okay, I, I have to get better at, at doing that. I shouldn't do this anymore. And yeah. then it, then it, then it evolves over time. Like then it, it, it depends whose advice you're asking. Right? right. You know, it's like, Oh, you're, you're a hack. I don't, I don't need your advice. But, right. Right. Um, but, but, you know, I, I still do that to this day. I'm like, you know, I, I just try, trying to be really clear at, 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 you know, you know what I'm not good at or, and, and how, right. how to, how to change that and just being, being honest with yourself, you know? Yeah. How have you uh, used that in your, your newest venture, your, uh, uh, Barton F. Graf? Um, you know, when we started, you know, you, 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 you do what comes easy, right? So, yeah. you know, writing TV is, is, you know, I, I, it took me five years to learn how to write TV. Yeah. Um, you know, I sucked at it and then, yeah. you know, I, I figured out why I sucked at it. And then I, and then I looked at people who I admired and I got good at it. Yeah. And then, we, you know, we started up here and we're, we're, we're you know, we, we started doing a lot of stuff and we were, we were doing a lot of TV and I'm like, well, you know, we're, we're, we're not gonna, we might get a, a couple, you know, projects here and there if we're like the, the TV place, but we're, you know, we're not going to do anything. So, we, you know, we got to move into digital. We have to move into social. We have to move into experiential. Yeah. And, and I'm like, God, I, I, you know, I have some experience at that, but I, but I, I'm really not great at it. Yeah. Um, and, but then again, just go back. Okay. What don't I know how to do? You know, yeah. just, just start doing it. Don't worry yeah. if, if you fail, find right. out why you failed and don't do that again. Right. Um, and then, I, you know, after. And then look know, at who's doing really good experiential and social and, yeah. you know, stuff that makes you smile. And, and uh, yeah, that's good yeah, advice. Exactly. Yeah. Because you're always throughout your career, no matter how, you know, big you get, you're always there's always going to be some new thing where you're like, I don't know anything about Snapchat or whatever yeah. the, the new or making a podcast or yeah. whatever, you know, whatever you do, the you thing get a Snapchat is. account. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you, exactly. You start doing a podcast. Just start. Or, or just Facebook, start doing it. Facebook yeah. live. Uh, I love the yeah. Facebook, not live. Uh, what a great, yeah. uh, what know, a great was, piece of work. Thanks man. You know, it's like, it's, you know, I, I didn't know much about Facebook, so I actually got myself on the Facebook creative council and went down to all those meetings and yeah. asked a lot of questions and brought Facebook up here a lot of times just to kind of like not just teach the agency but teach me, you know. Yeah. Um, and just, and, you know, and, and when you're, you know, when you're known within an industry and people are looking at what you're doing, it's, it's I think it might be easy not to want to go out and do stuff that isn't, you know, great, you know. Right. But if you, but if you just stick to what you've always done, then you're, you're history. So you have to go, you know, drop your ego and go, fine, we're going to, we're going to fuck up, you know, yeah. but, but you have to have the confidence that to go, but we'll get it, you know? Yeah. Fake it until you make it, they say, but you don't have to fake it with everyone. Advertising is a team sport and it's okay to lean on other people who know better than you about whatever new thing is happening. In this clip, Megan Skelly of RGA talks about how to listen for the things you don't know and learning the things that other people do know. Since this episode aired, Megan moved to Edelman, where she is currently ECD. I did a, uh, a lot of reading, but I don't know that reading 
um, was exactly, I don't think that was the secret to my success. I think what I did was I leaned on the people. I wasn't afraid to be stupid. That's right. Awesome. So, so have, a, I guess what I took away from the experience was I, I know what my strengths are and I, I can take stock of what my strengths are. I'm really good at strategy. I'm a really solid art director. I can flip. St- I can identify strategies that are going to create great, great creative. Mm-hmm. I, I'm good at those things. What and what I what I recognize in the social landscape and in the digital landscape, there aren't that many of those thinkers in that environment. That's right. Yeah. Or at least back then, there weren't. Right. Right. So, but. I didn't know anything. Uh, I didn't know nearly what the people that were surrounding me knew. So and instead plus, of instead of saying like, "Oh, I totally get it too," exactly. and acting as if you yeah. just said like, "Guys, I have no, I have no idea, idea what, I'm, what doing. I'm doing. Tell <laughs> me what's up." Right. So if you're not afraid to be stupid, but you you lean on your strengths, but don't be afraid to be stupid. Right. You can you can really people will fill those gaps for you. They yeah. will help you. If you've got the humility to recognize that you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Getting your foot in the door of advertising is hard, but a lot of people feel like if they don't work at the best agencies in the world, they will never work anywhere good. Not true. This business is super small. The best people shine no matter where they are. In this clip, Jill Applebaum, who is now global creative strategist at Facebook— talks about the dangers of being too picky when you're trying to break in and the importance of working hard, even on the worst assignments. I would say, you know, a lot of people seem almost like they've chosen what agency they want to work at as like an entry-level role, like they've got their short list because they've done all their creativity, you know, research and and can and whatnot. And, and I just, I it's so hard to get your foot in the door. I just don't think it's the time to be ego about it or, or precious about it. Yeah. I mean, I just sort of feel like the hardest thing to do is break in. And from there, if you're smart and hungry, you will find opportunities, even at agencies that aren't that great. I mean, you know, Draft FCB wasn't winning tons of Cam Lions in New York, out of New York. Right. That, that, you just, I just always sort of felt like, just get in and, say, you know, if you are willing to take on even the worst, hardest projects and get them from, like, D-level creative to B-minus level creative, the agency will notice. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I would I give that same advice to people because, uh, like, like you, I started at a place where I may not have wanted to, play, wanted to be, but I think I learned in those two years at Ogilvy Direct that writing is hard <laughs> and I had never written uh, five pages of, of copy before I don't think so uh, writing an American Express letter was um, one of the hardest things I'd ever done and I realized that I was kind of good at it uh, and, and and it taught me to write um, so and also I, I just learned I got to just be bad there you know I got to be sort of bad at my job there a little bit and just kind of learn and just kind of do the worst stuff and learn from that and do better and do better and I wasn't under the you know under the microscope right away and I, th- I think that's a it's a good thing to not be that because you know you've got a, your career is decades so uh don't don't rush it yeah it's good advice 
Yeah, I think, you know, I also feel like um, just be one of those people who helps the, like, just take stuff off of your manager. Make their lives easier. You know, it's like 10% of the people tend to do 90% of the work, so be in that 10%. Just, you know, even if it's the worst project out there, it will, you know, I think people worry, well, now I touch that, so I'm, I... I have, like, the stink on me a little bit if it's, like, a piece of business or a project that's not very glamorous. But right. I don't, I, I never really saw that to be the case. I, I think that you can, you can shine a lot easier sometimes when it's not the glamorous thing because it, it's easy to do something that looks 20 million times better than where it was. Right, yeah. And no one expects it to be good, and then, you know, you make it a little bit better, and they're yeah. like, oh, okay, thanks. And then suddenly um, it's the thing that people want to work on. I've seen the worst, you know, the worst assignments go to the best assignments in uh, in places when when somebody just cracks it the right way. Suddenly the client who was saying no to everything is so happy and uh, all they really wanted was some good work and they hadn't been getting it. And suddenly that account is now what everybody wants to work on. Someone once said that 80% of success is showing up. If that person had been in advertising, they might have added that the other 20% of success is staying late. Right or wrong, this industry is famous for pulling all-nighters and working weekends. Greg Hahn of BBDO told me a story about what happened when he bumped into his new chief creative officer in the hall one evening. He could have said no, but he said yes, and that made all the difference. I read a story about you when Lou Bars came in to, uh, you were at Fallon McGilligan, which I'd love to talk about uh, a little bit, but when Lou Bars first came into Fallon, he was sort of testing everybody out and he sort of stuck you together with somebody you'd never been with before. Tell, tell that story. What was that like? Yeah, well, that's a good example of, of saying yes. Yeah. So that was, uh, uh, Steve Driggs was the, my partner on that. And I, yeah, David was new and no one kind of knew what to make of him. But I did know he was like doing, doing his evaluation of the entire creative department. Yeah. So I, it was like late, and I happened to be walking the halls, and he's like, "You," and we, you know, I was like, "Yeah, I'm Greg." But he's like, "Well, we have this assignment for Sports Illustrated. They've looked at stuff for they've gone three rounds. The creatives are fed up with it, and they're just not giving it to me. They've hit walls, and we have client presentation the day after tomorrow, and it needs to be great. This is Sports Illustrated. They're you know classic brand. There's no reason this should not be great." I'm like, he's like a I want you to work on it, and then Steve Driggs, because he's got some time. You guys just uh, show me what you got tomorrow. And did you know Steve before that? I had never met Steve. No, we worked in the same office for, you know, maybe a year or so. But he was quiet, and so was I. But um, so I was like, oh, God, we're both thrown into this thing. I don't know this guy. The other part of the story is I never watched sports. I know nothing about sports. <laughs> so I was like, I'm so fucked. So you didn't but say that out he, loud. You just were like, okay. You just yeah, said no, yes. no. At the, at the time, I'm like, oh, yeah, cool, great, awesome. I think every creative, when they get an assignment, there's immediate fear of this. Yeah. This can be the time they're they're not going to come up with something. Yeah. So yeah, you do have to get over that, but you can't let that show. Um, it was like, yeah, awesome. That's that's such a great assignment. Let's go. Let's do it. And then I met Steve. And he's kind of the same boat, but he is so easy to work with. He was just like, he's the example of saying, yes, just throw something out. And instantly we have stuff all over the walls. You know, it's it's very effortless with Steve. So we clicked right away. And, um, you know, we ended up working together for 
four or five years on a bunch of different stuff, Citibank wow. and Nordstrom's and all kinds of stuff. So you made it through the audition. Yeah, I made it through the audition. It ended up being like one of David's favorite things out of Fallon. So that, yeah. was, that was good. It was know. a great campaign. It was, uh, what, what was it called? It, um... it was a, a Sports Illustrated, you may not get it, but our readers do. Yes. It was, it was actually, it, it, on paper, it doesn't sound like that great of an assignment. It was um, Sports Illustrated for media buyers, for like basically the people who sit in ad agencies at the time. Yeah. And buy, and buy, um, media and different, you know, by, by ad placement and different kind of print magazines or TV. So this was something they would see that yeah. would get them to say, wow, there's a lot of people that are into sports that read Sports Illustrated. So yeah. it was just about this inside world of our three, what our three million readers think. So I there's think. so many, uh, so many places there, so many traps there where you could have gotten caught. Like, I don't know the, the, whatever the product is. I don't know sports. I don't really care about sports. I don't like sports. There's the, I don't really know this partner guy. Uh, there's the, we have no time. We have to have something by yeah, tomorrow and it's thing. late at night and I really just want to go home. Yeah. And there's the, oh, and it's just an assignment for like media week magazine. Nobody's going to see this thing. Um, and you just put all that aside and, and cracked it. And it won so many awards. I remember seeing it and being so jealous and, Oh, thank um, you. The old yeah, lady that's, with that's, the Viking helmet on is still uh, in my head. Oh, that's very nice of you. Um, yeah. yeah, that that is, goes back to the idea of self-delusion. you got to kind of put that aside and go, this is going to be the one that, you know, first of all, my audience was David Lubarsh, so it wasn't like I was worried about the, you know, who's going to see it, because I know the person who really matters who's yeah. going to see it, who's going to see it tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and as far as, like, you know, not not knowing my partner and stuff that, that kind of went, I, I, I did have a lot of experience working with, cause I never really had a steady partner working with a bunch of different people. Yep. And that idea of being open and saying yes has made that easier. So, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, within an hour of sitting with Steve, I was like, okay, this is going to be okay. Yeah. We're going to have stuff. It's going to yeah, be gonna have stuff. It's, that's, that's a scary thing. It's actually, we presented two campaigns. I, I was pushing for the other one, believe it or not. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then I remember Andy Azola came in. He's like, no, 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 that's, uh, <laughs> It's this one. All right. So that's our not top 10 list of the uh, lessons we learned last season on the A-list. Met a lot of great people and saw a lot of good old friends. I feel so lucky that I get to do this on a uh, semi-regular basis. And I'm so I feel so lucky that people actually listen to this. And I'm always I'm always surprised when somebody says I love your podcast. I, I'm like, wow, really? There's people who really listen. So I want to thank everybody for listening. And uh, we are learning so much about this this whole podcast world, and um, and it's really fun. So thank you for listening. Thanks to everybody who was on the show. Thanks to everybody who's going to be on next season, which I think everyone's going to love. Thanks to Lauren Slaff at Ad House for for letting us do this for her. Thanks to Matt Stillo, our engineer, and Gramercy Post for being such great hosts and having us over here. It's a great place to record. We're in the same building, so if you do come and record at Gramercy Post, stop by DeMassimo Goldstein and uh, I'll uh, we'll have a coffee or, or play some ping pong or whatever you want to do. Um, I probably don't have time, though. I probably have a meeting to go to. Oh, my cookies are ready. Uh, That's that's the timer. I'm rambling again. You're going to have to go through all of this and just make it into, like, a real thing. You guys have a ping pong table? Yeah, we do.
Matt's never been to DeMassimo Goldstein. I got lost one time. I just haven't been back. Yeah. Uh, so uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And we're going to do season two. We're already into it. We're, uh, I think, four episodes in now. And uh, it's, it's coming out really, really great. This has been the A-List podcast brought to you by Ad House Advertising School. I'm Tom Chrisman, Chief Creative Officer at DeMassimo Goldstein, an inspiring action agency in New York City. And this is me signing off, finally. Thanks. Bye.